0: welcome to thought crime and keto crime where tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to welcome to thought crime and keto crime where tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to
1: hey everyone um today we've got a special treat we've got um aaron beam former cfo of health south he has been gracious enough to join us and kind of give us an insider's look at the HealthSouth accounting scandal. Um, Welcome, Aaron. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, uh, I was a founder of HealthSouth and uh, was the CFO uh, for 13 years, and uh, I was involved in the accounting fraud, which in it's kind of hard to say when a fraud actually begins. Uh, we were probably doing some things that were quasi-fraudulent uh, almost from day one, but the out and out just making up numbers and literally cooking the books began in 1996. In fact, the second quarter of 1996. And that's been pretty much documented in a lot of different ways. So. Uh, While some people claim we had phony books from day one, uh, most experts say it was in 96. Now I left in 97, so I I only participated in the fraud for a few months and uh, the fraud went on until 2003. So, um, but my significant role was that it did begin on my watch, I worked for Richard Scrushy even before we started the company and so when I wrote my book about HealthSouth I felt like I was one of the better qualified people to to write about how the fraud took place and all that but in reality a lot of the details of how the accounting and how the fraud unraveled over a six or seven year period I don't have a lot of first-hand knowledge on that
1: definitely I I understand that I I really just wanted your take on it and what you know and what you saw and what you're allowed to tell us and um I know you had a long
0: as long as I'm telling the truth I think I can tell you anything Uh, (laughs) if I start lying to you then I I, I might be creating problems for myself and others but everything I I say in my book and in my speeches is, is is the truth and it's uh uh, it, it happened just like I, I said it happened.
1: Definitely. I know you started, uh, with, uh, Mr. Scroogey way back in what, 1980? We started the company in 84. 84. Okay. okay. Went public in 86. All right. And, uh, you were the CFO from the start. You've read my book, you say? I, I have. And I've also listened to just about every speech Hello? I can find of yours on YouTube.
0: Uh-oh. Where'd you go? Can you hear me? I can hear you. You, you. you kind of froze there for a second. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I've, I've read your book and I've listened to just about everything I can find of you on YouTube while researching the case. And uh, okay. I just had a few questions. Um, sure. I know you said that Mr. Scruci could be kind of overbearing, kind of scary. Cause you said he carried a weapon in his briefcase and had bodyguards. Did, did you and... Um, your uh, accountant at the time, uh, did Bill Owen, did you two kind of feel strong armed into doing what you did with uh, kind of cooking the books, so to
0: speak? I think Richard had the unique ability of intimidating people uh, just through his character and, and his mannerisms and everything. Um, you know, I don't, he seldom ever said, uh, you know, I'm going to harm you bodily if you just don't do these things, but uh, you still got the impression that he might (laughs) right? (laughs) without him even saying it. So he he was the kind of person that you you, uh, literally uh, feared. Uh, I think maybe I can sum it up very well. When when I wrote my book, Uh, Hell South, The Wagon to Disaster, I was on a radio talk show in Birmingham and talking about the book and I was in town doing a book sighting and a lady called in. She said, Mr. Beam, you probably don't remember me, but I used to work for you at Hellsouth. She said I worked in the uh, accounts payable department. And she said, occasionally I would have to take very large checks into Mr. Scrooge's office for him to sign. And she said, as soon as I walked into his office, I began to tremble. And I was just, uh, she said he had the eyes of a reptile and he was just scary to be around. So he, he, he had that ability to, to intimidate people. Um, and he knew he had that ability and he used it uh, whenever he could.
1: I, I, in all my research on black collar, especially counting scandals, that mm-hmm. seems to be a common denominator uh, with Hilt South, with WorldCom, with Bernie Eppers, with Ken Lay at Enron they were all very intimidating people and it seemed like they ran their company like a dictatorship almost
0: it's true it's true there's been a lot written about it Uh, a professor at arizona state university wrote a book that seven signs of ethical collapse and the book was about enron worldcom tyco health south and a couple of other companies one of the seven signs was that they all had bigger than life, intimidating uh, CEOs who uh, totally measured success by how much money they could accumulate. And that was all that was important to them. So when you see these kinds of massive frauds that are become so large and go on for years, there's usually a retrospective type person at the center. So you've done your research
1: yeah. yeah oh well, i can tell you from what i understand the f- when you first started doing what you called creative accounting in the in the 80s even before the yeah. 96 fallout, you were simply doing what a lot of accountants do they move numbers around a little bit they kind of thread out projections a little bit which is not illegal it's not a scam a lot of companies do it
0: well yeah uh, in accounting there's a lot of things you have to estimate uh, you know, you have to estimate the life of your assets. You have to estimate what you think your revenue collections are going to be. So you have gray areas, and the danger, though, is that you if you always do your accounting so that it helps the short-term bottom line. In other words, every every accounting change, every adjustment you make is to help the bottom line and you ignore generally accepted accounting principles probably that's there's nothing in the law that says you can't do that but common sense would tell you that if you're building a bridge or something and you always cut corners and you buy the the you never buy the top of the grade materials you just do things to get by uh, one day that bridge might fall down and it's kind of the same with accounting if you always uh, do creative accounting to create earnings over time that really weakens your financial statements.
1: Definitely. Well, you can see that in the projections on the actual, like when in '96, when you said the actual cooking of the books actually started, you can see charts that kind of show it going from, oh, a 50% discrepancy up to 200%. And then by 2003, it was at like 2,000% overstatement. I mean, it just grew. Uh-
0: yeah, yeah. Well, let me give an example of. And, and, and while I don't know that much about the details of the accounting, uh, but I've been told by Weston Smith, who was there the entire time, uh, our outpatient centers and surgery centers, the medical supply inventory in reality was a few thousand dollars, two, three, four thousand dollars. As the fraud grew and we created phony earnings, we had to debit. Something on the balance sheet to offset that. Over time, that three, four, five thousand account grew to ten thousand, then twenty thousand, then a hundred thousand. So, you know, you know, it it uh, it ballooned as it went on. It really did.
1: Definitely. Well, I, I, maybe a lot of people don't realize is that when you're, I've, I've done medical insurance coding, and I know that when you that what a doctor charges an insurance company is not what they get paid. You have a a certain amount you have to write off. You have a copay, a deductible that has to be met. And then there's always a a huge amount that just has to go away because you can't charge the duty or contract with that particular health insurance company, whether it's public or private, you have to write off a huge chunk of money. You can't charge that to the patient. So you were, you started out, I know in 86 kind of, okay, maybe we lose 10% of our revenue to the write-off, but then you started moving it around. Maybe it's 8%. Right, exactly. And then that escalated into 96, where basically Bill Owen had worked for Ernest Young and said that, okay, I know what level of entries on general ledgers that they actually look at. And so mm-hmm. at that point, Scrooshi ordered you guys to start putting in those entries and those amounts that wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That would kind of escape the scrutiny of the auditors. Is that kind of mm-hmm. how it started? Yeah,
0: yeah. That that's really out out, and out fraud when you start just making totally uh, incorrect entries, knowing that the auditors aren't going to look at. Them. I mean, you're 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 committing fraud. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you're not changing accounting estimates or anything like that. It's, you you really understand the healthcare industry well. I can tell. One of the healthcare companies, particularly for profit healthcare companies have had a a history of bad accounting. And it's because of the complexity of healthcare accounting. Nobody understands it. Uh, If you stay in a hospital for a few days, you get home and they send you your bill, you can't make heads or tails out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just can't understand it. So that in itself makes for um, it makes it suspect to, to manipulation because it's so confusing. It's not like you go in a grocery store and a loaf of bread is a dollar twenty. And you walk down to the next grocery store and it's a dollar ten, and you can quickly see what's going on. You can't do that in healthcare. Oh, yeah, um, it's, yeah. It, it's then um, so that that's 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 part of the problem. The other thing that plays into it. Is that when you're a very large company, and we were a multi-billion-dollar company, uh, auditors look at materiality, and if things are r- relatively small, and for a billion-dollar company, that might be a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars, they can actually sort of pass on that because it's not material when you compare it to the whole scope of the country, company. So. That the complexity of healthcare accounting, uh, all those things um, make for healthcare companies to be ripe for fraudulent accounting. For sure, and a lot of people don't
1: realize if you contract with, I think Medicare's rates are pretty standard, Medicaid's rates are pretty standard, but if you with contracts with certain providers, but if you're talking about a Blue Cross or a Kaiser Permanente or any other private insurance company out there their contract with health south has a different fee s- structure than their than their uh contract with um vanderbilt or uab or, or somebody or
0: whatever, like that or whatever yeah yeah that's true that's true well um that's uh, people a lot of times will ask me during q a and all just curious that uh what do I think can be done to improve healthcare uh, in the United States? You know, it seems like it's broken. Nobody's happy with it. We're always trying to change it. And I always come back with uh, transparency and pricing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Make it so that people can understand the pricing. And I believe we have the computers and the technology now to do that. When we can learn that a little old lady in Montana's cat had kittens yesterday, uh, you can't tell me that we can't make pricing transparent. Uh, it's just that I don't think it's in the interest necessarily of the hospitals or the insurance companies or other people to do that. They, they kind of like the way the game is played. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned that, it's even President Trump and a lot of people have said, we got to have transparency in pricing. But I don't see much happening to really make it uh, come forth, you know. So.
1: Well, me either. I, and I agree with you. I think transparency in pricing and also insurance companies are the reason the prices got so high to begin with. Yeah, exactly. 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 I mean, I remember when I was young, my mom taking me to the doctor and just paying cash. Yeah. And she oh, yeah. To do that.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'm older than you, I'm sure. But same thing with me. We went to the, my doctor's office, Mm -hmm. he had a nurse and it was him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was it. We didn't have a big staff of people or anything. And uh, he told you when you left that you owed five, $10 and you paid it. And it was, it was very easy to understand, you know? Yeah. And you could call him and ask him, what will you charge to deliver my baby? And he would tell you, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, when insurance got involved, it became really wacky, and uh, and it's just gotten worse. So,
1: and it, it spiraled. I mean, you have look at a uh, farm, look at big pharma, look at you know oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Martin
1: Scarelli and all those guys. How they're able to jack up drug prices? It's all the same thing. There's no transparency. We don't know no
0: right
1: what it right. actually costs to make the drug, what it actually costs to research the drug. We're just we just pay what we're given, you know.
0: This is kind of turning into a healthcare conference rather than. I'm a sorry. Problem? No, that's okay. That's okay. I enjoy talking about this. Uh, um,
1: I'll I'll drive it back yeah. on point. Um, do you mind okay. talking about Mr. Scrooshi at all?
0: I I don't. I mean, in my book, you know, the last paragraph of my book, I said I'm sure he's going to sue me for writing this book. He hasn't. Um, and, and I don't want to just keep beating a dead horse, and I, I don't want people to think. That I'm not at fault in what happened, that Scroogey made me do it. Scroogey's the bad guy. I'm the good guy. Uh, with Hell South, should have been the one to stand up to Richard and look out and do the right thing, and I didn't do it. So, um, uh, bless his heart. He, he had his problems. I had my problems, uh, beating up on him even more. Um, uh, I don't. I don't care to do that.
1: I understand, sir. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put you in a in a predicament
0: there. No, 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 uh, I mean, I could go on and on and tell you story after story about Scrooge that are really interesting, but uh, we'll save that for another day. Uh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I know that. Um, of course, well, as we all know, he was bigger than life. He kind of welded power over the company and stuff. But I think one thing that didn't really come clear to me is the board the board of directors um did they never like realize maybe something was going on and decide to step in did anybody on the board ever challenge him or challenge what was
0: going on well here again i left uh in 97 and the fraud went on for many years and so i can't really talk much about what the board did or didn't do in those other years but i know richard Handpicked his board. He st- he he liked yes men. He didn't like didn't not like board members to disagree with him at all, and he was a master at, at getting that done. I, I will tell you a story that's I think kind of telling. We had just raised our first round of venture capital and got the company started. We had a, a small board of directors, and it came time for our first annual review. And Richard had agreed to take a very modest salary when he started the company. And at the board meeting, at the first annual board meeting, uh, he asked for a big, big raise. And they told him no, they weren't gonna do it. And he walked out of the boardroom, just walked out of the boardroom. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. And um, they finally got him back in the boardroom and he said, look guys, I'm going to run this company. I'm going to make everybody a lot of money and you're going to pay me what I want to be paid or I'm out of here. You need to understand that. He talked to them just like that, you know, and they gave him the raise. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And as the years went by, he gave them raises. He gave them stock options. He let them ride in the company airplanes and uh, they, they became totally, you want to say addicted to the whole program, Uh, they understood that it it was better to play ball with him than to fight him because if you fought him, you weren't going to win. He had a neat way of always asking things. He would always say if he wanted something, he'd propose it to the board, and he would say, don't you guys think this is something we should do? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he did it all the time. You know, he'd, get, he'd call me in and say, Aaron, here's something I think we should do. What do you think? Well, you're set up. You know not to say, no, I don't agree with you, Richard. You're, you're, you you're don't want the hell beat out of you. So you say, yeah, I, I think that's a good idea, Richard. <laughs> I know a lot of
1: people, especially on, on videos like this where I, I talk about white-collar crime, I get a lot of comments that talk about how all these people are evil and they're corporate machines and stuff like that. And, and I, I'm going to say that I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you and your staff were in a very difficult position. And also probably Mr. Scrooge himself, he probably deep down thought that the company could make up those numbers because you were growing so fast.
0: Right, right, right. And, and when he told that board... I'm going to make you a lot of money. I'm going to run this company. I started this company and I'm going to make it a giant success. He meant it with all of his heart mm-hmm. and, and he wanted them to give him what he wanted, you know? So, um, that's just the way he was, you know?
1: Right. Cause y'all uh, were planning what acute care hospitals, like regular.
0: Uh, we had a few acute care hospitals that were, that were special, that specialized in orthopedic surgery, like okay. in Birmingham. Okay. But generally we did not, uh just go by a run-of-the-mill hospital right we had about five acute care hospitals but they all had prominent orthopedic surgeons practicing there
1: well i remember when i lived in birmingham there was like it was just after all this went down but there had been like a plan for a really state-of-the-art health south Uh, hospital on maybe two
0: highway 280 yes yeah the galleria (laughs) yeah yeah, out by our corporate office, and uh, uh, were you in, did you tell me you actually had an office in the South Building at one time? I did, uh, right
1: uh, right there at the Fountain Building. Um, I worked for Virginia College, another company yeah. with a scandalous history that <laughs> recently went out of business, but I, I worked there for their online division, and uh, my office was there. Okay, them.
0: did you know a Greg Womble? Greg Womble? Womble. He worked for uh, an education type company in that building. His office is in that building, and it was—I uh, know he was concerned about some of the things they were doing. He yeah, was a, it, like a technical writer for them.
1: Yeah, Education Correct. Corporation of America. I worked for them, but I, I worked for another division of theirs called Virginia okay. College,
0: okay. and uh,
1: they kept corporate and branches kind of divided. So I—I I probably wouldn't have known yeah. him, but it sounded. Yeah. Yeah. but i left like you i left way before anything kind of <laughs> kind of went down so yeah, but um yeah. but that's a lot of pe- most people that get involved in these fries i think they re- they think their company can make up the difference and it's not going to be oh, a yeah. big
0: deal oh yeah and uh you know it's um i i use you probably have heard this one before the frog in boiling water mm-hmm. if you put a frog in a pot of really hot water he'll jump right out but if you put him in a pot of water, slowly, slowly, slowly raise the temperature, he eventually does die. And that's what happens. you 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 start these kinds of things, the pressure of Wall Street to make your numbers, you don't wanna be a loser, you don't want stockholders to lose money, and out of good intentions, you become a little more creative than you should be. It's that simple, you know? It it is. it's, it's, there aren't that many people just go out there and say, huh, today I think the way to make money is just to commit huge frauds. You know, it just doesn't start that way. It starts. No, it's just like, like my like, grandfather, who's yeah, a farmer, right.
1: said prime the pump. It's it's corporate's way of priming the pump. You've got to put <laughs> stuff in to get it, get the water out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where are you from originally? Uh, originally a little town called Gadsden, Alabama, not far from well, yeah, uh, Birmingham.
0: So you're an Alabama girl and you do stand-up comic huh
1: I do I do
0: that's a brave thing to do um yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm usually petrified when I get on stage once I get up there and get one laugh I'm okay but I'm usually nervous I, before
0: I get up there I um you probably have heard some of my talks I put humor into my speeches you uh, do it, it works well when it, like you, if you can get the audience laughing you, you know that they're they're engaged, so uh, I think it's important. I, I think I'd be a bad just stand-up comedian, though. I, I carefully weave my humor into my presentation. And it's not—they don't even realize I'm trying to be funny at times. You
1: know? Well, there's a there's a division, a, a sect of stand-up comedy called storytelling, and you would be absolutely uh, perfect for that. You just tell stories, okay. like yeah, you do, and you yeah. weave humor into it.
0: Yeah, I can do that. I can do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But um, from, from talking to you and listening and reading your book, I've, I came to the impression that you left in 96 because you want, uh, wanted to retire. You kind of were wary. You said that you didn't, you felt like you were trying to put a genie back in a bottle after that yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. So you just kind of wanted to get away from it. Exactly. And Mr. Scruci asked you to rejoin the company in the early 2000s and you refused.
0: He, just one year after I left, he asked mm-hmm. me to rejoin yeah was it because you
1: were afraid that the fraud was still going on or you just really settled into retirement at that point
0: no it was it was more i settled into retirement even without the fraud i wasn't that happy of a camper uh dealing with wall street and the pressures of being a public company um it 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 was um it's a tough job you know like i say it's uh being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, CFO, is not, a, not an easy job. So I made a lot of money, and uh, I just felt like it was time to leave the game. Now, the first time we cooked the books in 1996, Richard promised Bill Owens and I that I'm going to start selling off airplanes. I'm going to cut costs. We're going to get our costs in line, and uh, we're, we're going to get out of this hole and just hang in there, guys. Let's do this this one time. Well, he didn't live up to any of those promises. He bought more airplanes. He spent more money on his band, uh, you know, doing silly things that just uh, benefited Richard Scruci. So th- that was another reason I, I wanted to leave. Uh, once he welched on those promises that day, I said, no, I can't. I'm not going to stay here and just have him lie to me again and again and again.
1: Yeah, well, he had already told you guys he was going to deny deny any knowledge of what was he, going on yeah the,
0: the second time we cooked the books maybe you know the third time third quarter he, he did he said if, if we're caught i'm going to deny everything and that was another reason why i said no <laughs> his interests, my interests are not in line at all yeah
1: well for those of my viewers that don't know i mean they would have already seen my presentation by now so they'll know that you were one of the five cfos that Testified against him at his trial. You were one of the ones that actually turned yourself in, basically. You were. Oh, yeah, I done. did. I did. Yeah. And uh, you faced the Piper. Um, yeah. And you pretty much had to pay back all your gains from I did. from I the did. fraud. I did.
0: And uh, the way my attorney explained it to me, he said they'll look at your personal balance sheet and they're going to take nearly all of it. And he said that they won't put you in a box underneath the freeway and they won't ask you to pay stuff that you just can't pay. But whatever you're capable of paying, they're going to ask for it. And and that's what they did. And so once everything went down, I had to auction off my home in Fairhope, Alabama and pay restitution, pay legal fees and uh, uh, start a new life essentially.
1: Well, you've done you've, you seem to be doing real well. I see that you're busiest public speaking, you still have your landscaping business.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I I, I did landscaping for two years. Oh, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay, my, my screen went blank, but uh, I, I did mowed lawns for two years, and uh, as I speaking started picking up, I, I really couldn't do both, and I just quit. I was getting $50 or so to mow a lawn and I was getting maybe $1,000 to give a speech. So I said, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's air conditioned when you give a speech. So I opted yes. to get out of the landscape business.
1: Don't blame you at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think probably the last thing of interest about this case is just the public relations machine that he was able to put on during his trial. I remember, oh, yeah. I remember seeing him on local television. Uh, preaching, uh, basically a a miniature Trinity broadcasting networks, what he had going on. Yeah. And just using that influence of the, especially the the African-American churches in Birmingham for public, the public to get behind him and got found. Their defense made you guys out to be the bad guys. You were lying. Y'all didn't know what you were talking about. You were trying to blame this innocent guy. And yet he somehow came out unscathed for that. It's just.
0: Well, it, it, through this whole experience, it became, I now totally realized that defense attorneys aren't seeking justice. They aren't looking for truth. They have one job, keep their client out of jail. Mm-hmm. And they primarily do it by discrediting those who testify against their client. The O.J. Simpson thing, they put the Los Angeles Police Department on trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that but that's just typical that particularly if, if you're part of the crime, the defense attorneys are going to say, here's a bunch of felons, people who admitted that they were guilty, they're sleazeballs, and they're trying to get their jail time to increase by ratting out an innocent man. And the jurors bought into it. So yeah. what can you do?
1: that's what gets every single one of these big cases that involved these big big name ceos richard scruci bernard eppers ken lay that was always their defense they they ran their companies with an iron fist up until the point of the fraud then they knew nothing about it
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) it made no sense yeah no no it made no sense and uh but you know it's uh the courtroom is a very interesting place, and uh, you really don't want to have to go into court with a jury uh, if you don't have to, because it, it it gets down to how the lawyers spin everything, and it it may just it just may not work out like it should, you know, as in the case of the Scrooge trial. So then, when he was found guilty for bribing the governor, Governor Sigelman. uh he wasn't he didn't praise the jury he said oh they got it wrong this time
1: (laughs) oh yeah he made this documentary that i watched that was like had everybody including the president of um alabama power on there talking about how this was just the government's witch hunt against richard scruci they failed to get him on the health south thing so now they're trying to get him on this oh yeah wasn't a bribe and all this stuff yeah (laughs) i don't know anything about it i just know they found him guilty
0: but I just yeah. thought it was interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about, I really, he may have been innocent of the bribe to the governor. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Absolutely. We, we don't know. We don't know what went on there. Net, net, he got a lot less jail time for bribing the governor than he would have if he had been guilty of the health stuff. Problem. Definitely.
1: Definitely. So, anyway. Well, one thing I'm going to tell my subscribers. Well, this are, has been great.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge I'll fan of yours, sir. When <laughs> do, you, uh, do you ever present? Well, thank you. Uh, do you ever do comedy in Birmingham? I do
1: occasionally. When I do, I'm at Stardome occasionally. I'll send you a, uh, I'll let you yeah, know. Send send you
0: yeah, I'm going to be in town uh, March the 13th. In fact, I have reservations at Highlands Bar and Grill, and uh, I'll be be there and uh if you were in town i uh, might want to kind of catch your show
1: okay yeah. if, if i'm performing i, I'll throw can, I can maybe
0: make a I i can make a trip up to birmingham to hear you i'd like to hear you All can right. i heckle yeah. you from the crowd? do you sure. like people to heckle you when you <laughs>
1: yeah you can heckle me i'll I bring you up on stage and make you tell some stories <laughs> okay <laughs> but uh, everybody I want you to know that this man I've watched so much that he's done and he always ends his speeches by telling MBAs and accounting hopefuls not to compromise their ethics to please the CEO and I think that's great that you do that sir
0: well okay well thank you very much and I appreciate you um, being so knowledgeable about all of this and uh, let's do it again sometime okay
1: absolutely thank you so much Mr. Bean you have a
0: good night All right, thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.